0: Hello everyone and welcome to the first podcast from Critical Care St James's Hospital. This podcast is presented by the education team and the practice development facilitator. We hope to bring you some interesting topics throughout the year all related to critical care. We will be really grateful if you could leave us a comment and any suggestions for further content. We'd like to think that the podcast will be a mixture of both education and personal and professional experiences all related to critical care. Now I'm just going to introduce the team to everyone, so my name is Kira, and I'm a CF here in the ICU and the people that are with me today are uh, Deborah Gaffney, Deirdre Doyle, Emily Naylor, Shauna Golligley and Beatrice Tajada and we're missing one of our education team today and Fiona Carroll and she'll hopefully be back with us soon. So we decided for an authorial podcast that we'll talk about COVID and our own experiences over the past year and a half. And I suppose we know that people are tired and exhausted from COVID, but we thought maybe a more personal and relaxed approach to talking about our experiences and discussing them might help all of the staff in ICU to process their experiences. And I suppose just to note and just to say that we, everybody, we know that everybody has had their own personal journeys and challenges throughout the pandemic and we don't feel that our experiences are in any way representative of all of the staff in ICU, but we just wanted to acknowledge the difficulties. So, Debs, do you want to start maybe and just talk us through it a little bit, maybe your experience over the last year and a half?
1: Okay, hi everyone. Um, so for me, uh, during the first wave of the pandemic, I was a staff nurse and I was in charge of Gupy which gave me a great opportunity to get exposure and being in charge, which then led me to be able to get the job as CF, which I'm in now since August of last year. So that was a positive for me. Um, during the pandemic, I suppose every day was a challenge. and um, We were all exposed to things that we had never experienced before. Um, another uh, positive for me during the pandemic was the teamwork that we had here in the ICU and the um, camaraderie we had while working through the pandemic Um a challenge for me as well was um, I had to move out on my own just to protect my parents and um, I was living by myself just near the hospital for a couple of months so that was a little bit of a challenge to me um, other than that um, I suppose just now with the fourth wave maybe being something that's coming and we're all a little bit apprehensive. We still have that little bit of fear of the unknown that we had originally as well, not knowing what to expect. But I definitely feel like as a team here in the ICU that we're really well prepared and everyone came together really well. I I was lucky enough never to get COVID, but um, Kira, I can talk to you about that then.
0: Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Um, So I got a positive COVID swab on the 2nd of April, I think it was. And um, it was a big, it was big enough deal, I think, at the time, because actually there wasn't that many people who had been diagnosed in work. with <laughs> a few suspect cases, maybe. Um, and I was living with, I'd moved out of home. I was living with my sister and my brother-in-law, and there are two kids. My sister's a nurse, my brother-in-law's a guard, and the small kids. And I just felt like it was just going to be a bit of a nightmare. I didn't want to knock everybody else out. So when they rang and offered me a space in City West to self-isolate, I felt like I had to go. Um, so <laughs> I remember packing up my bags that night and driving. So I had to drive myself. So I was obviously thinking, well, I'm obviously not sick if I'm driving myself to the isolation facility. But I have to say, I did feel really sorry for myself driving there. And then it was a real experience like nobody came near you, basically, at all. Um, the first room I went into, actually, the television didn't work. And I was like, I ran down to reception. I was like, oh, no, I can't deal with this. Like, I have to have a work in television. So then they had to move rooms. But when they came up to bring me to the new room, like, the person comes to the door in full PPE. And they kind of guide you down the corridor to your new room. And they stay, like, well back from you the whole way. And you're, like, trudging down to your new room at your bag into the room, and the room was fine actually, it was fine. And then you get the, I suppose, run through of what what the routine is. So your meals were dropped outside the door on the floor in a brown paper bag, and you had dinner every evening at seven in the dining hall. But the dinners were just laid out on the table in plastic containers, and no, nope, you didn't see anybody, staff, so you just came in, you picked a table, you sat down, and, you ate your dinner and then you left and you went back to your room. So you were allowed out for a couple of hours to walk around, but you had an armband on. The colour of the armband showed you what whether you were positive. So obviously, I was wearing the orange positive armband. <laughs> and then there was people with blue and green, but I never saw those people, so I don't know what was, <laughs> what was their situation. You were only with the oranges. You had to use your own set of stairs. You couldn't use the lift. Um, yeah, and like, I don't know if I actually spoke to another person there. Um, so I was there for eight nights and a nurse rang you every day to check in and knew your symptoms and stuff, but I was fine, I was physically fine. So, um, But then you get to drive yourself home on the day of discharge. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was tough, but to be honest, the hardest part nearly for me being there was that I felt like I was just missing so much in work and I felt like I was, after I suppose, bailing a little bit on everybody here. We put so much work into the prep and everything and I was just worried about stuff here. I knew I was okay, um, and I was just so relieved that I hadn't been living at home with my mom and dad when mm. I got the swab, when I got the positive test. So that was definitely my challenge. The positive, yeah, I think just the people that we work with here. Mm. Um, it's amazing what people will do, and they're, it's amazing what we do, but then it's really amazing what people are capable of when they're put under. And um, mm. you know, that severe pressure. I suppose, how do I feel about stuff now? Yeah, I'm kind of feeling okay. Like, I don't really think that we're going to be too bad. I don't think we're maybe going to get a fourth wave, I hope. And I think that we have an awful lot of the work. Even though the third one, I felt felt worse. Mm. I felt like the prep and stuff for the first was horrendous, but it was really, really tough at the time. and I just remember being in those meetings and talking about money and finance and equipment. And like it was just the planning, the people that you met that you'd never really, I hadn't had exposure to working with in the hospital before. Um, and like the team that is now, I suppose, was very different at the time. And I was just really glad that Deirdre was here and somebody who probably knew people in the hospital and had that bit of, had I suppose, a, a kind of contacts with a lot of other people. So we really kind of relied on you a lot, I think, to guide us. So I don't know,
2: do you want to kind of give us your story? Yeah, well, I'm Deirdre. <laughs> uh Yeah, and I suppose I have been in the ICU for 23 years now, um, and then almost nine years in this role. So yeah, I suppose I know a lot of context around the hospital. And we've done surge planning several times. Like we did the surge plans for Ebola. We did surge plans for the Pope's visit. <laughs> you know uh all kinds of, of different but you never you know amounted to anything and I, i'll be honest i was supposed like everybody else going this is a virus that somewhere else in the world is not coming here and i wasn't really until i came back from skiing at the end of february that i really was like we're in this like this is real we're going to be um we're going to be facing this and you know i suppose i agree with kira the first uh even though we had a surge plan really worked out since January, we kept changing it, but based on information we were getting from other countries, from Italy particularly, and what the nurses there were telling us, what they were having to deal with, how to do the education plan, train of people who had never worked in ICU before, Mm. all of that. But for me, probably the biggest challenge was there was a lot of pressure in trying to decide what we needed in terms of equipment and supplies and where we were going to get them because everybody in the whole world was buying up ventilators, high flows, monitors, cables, you know, all the supplies, and where are we going to have, and PPE as well on top of all of that. And um, so that was a big challenge. And some days, like I was ordering equipment. I remember one day I ordered over a half a million euros worth of equipment in the space of an hour. and you know not really knowing this is going to be approved Were we going to get it even if it was approved if it would it be shipped and arrived with some time and that was all really hard setting up ccu i remember that mm. was a big challenge it, one ccu it all happened very quickly we hadn't ccu initially as our first um you know our first uh, surge area we were planning to do a different route and then closer to closer to d-day if you like we sort of decided, no, we need to keep our team together, we'll be able to manage things better if we have everyone together. And I'd like, looking back, I think that was one of the best decisions mm-hmm. we made, mm-hmm. even though we all agree it's not ideal, it definitely made a huge difference in managing the patients and keeping the team together and safety of patients and staff and everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, So, I suppose that was the, ch- the challenging bit, trying to get ourselves all set up and, and organized and having all the equipment and resources. I mean the positive I agree completely with Deborah and, and Kira, like the teamwork from within the ICU was amazing, but I will acknowledge and given that my exposure is a lot with people outside of the ICU, I you know I have we have to acknowledge that the people that you would never normally consider people in procurement and supplies, logistics, finance. Like, those people were working well into, like, the, the night time, you know, putting in orders mm-hmm. and um, processing things. And like everybody, like, from security and waste and, you know, anything we needed, like, they were like, what you need, what you need, and they were doing everything they possibly could to get it to us. So it was really positive And I felt the support, you know, I, did, I felt we weren't on our own. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt we had the support of the rest of the hospital 100% behind. ICU, uh, you know, and and what we needed. Um, how am I feeling now? Well, I suppose, um, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I had, uh, unfortunately, you know, the end of May, I broke my leg, and I had seven months off, which, you know, <laughs> was not necessarily the greatest uh, time off, but still, in a way, and I felt terrible about being off um while we were still going through the the. The pandemic but for me personally it actually was a a really positive thing in my life because mm. i i wasn't able to see my mother who's 90 you know um obviously during the first part of the year but then once you know we had done quarantine time you know i actually spent the majority of that time with my mum and she would have been on her own pretty mm. much and so it turned out be well, while a negative thing happened, it ended up being a sort of positive thing both for me and her, and for the rest of my family, so that she wasn't alone. Um, the I agree as well. Like we don't really know what's ahead of us with with COVID. It can go a number of different ways, and we've learned so much over mm-hmm. the last eighteen months. I, I agree. We you know we can handle this as a team. We've you know we've got great people here and. Um, We've learned a lot, and we're still learning, and we're still trying to to get the unit into a better place, you know, and get a new unit and all of that. So I think we'll just all keep going and doing what we do, and um, hope for the best. (laughs) (laughs) So um, Emily, yeah, I agree. I agree with you, Dido. I think yeah,
3: we've had everyone's had a very, you know, had everyone's had their own experience and different challenges was one of my my challenge was for me there the challenges within work but also having to juggle family life and having um, two young children um, and a partner who also works within the public sector and um, as a teacher so and um, was working from home and I guess those initial fears were that um, in the early days we obviously didn't really understand COVID and at one point um, there was talk of I guess the younger children being vectors and possibly spreading COVID. So, I was not only concerned <laughs> about bringing, um, you know, this disease home to a young family with a son who does have some respiratory issues, but also about was I at risk of bringing something from home to work and you know, be putting patients at risk. Um, I just, I guess we just didn't know at that point. Um, so it, it was struggling, um, and just getting that balance. And I suppose like on your days off, um. There was really no rest, so to speak, in terms of like you. I think we did. We all, probably, I could speak for most people, felt exhausted working in the PPE, and it was tiring and um, very long days. And last summer, I suppose, in the heat of it, um, it could be very, very warm and difficult to work um, under the circumstances. Um, and yeah, it, it was a, it was a very, it was a, it was a difficult time. So. I actually did avail of the EAP program, um, the Employee Assistant Program, um, and found it really helpful just to kind of get some perspective on what was happening in work and what was happening at home, and you know just to be able to take the pressure off mm. myself and to know that you know, um, you know, there, there was a ba- you had to get this balance between work and home—and um, you know that, that it was okay not to feel okay about things, but how did I manage that, how did I cope and um, so you know making sure that you've got your walks in in the week and um, when you could um, and I suppose the positives coming out of the ICU where I think you know we're very solution focused and we, we do come together as a team when, you know all the time when when things are needed um, and you know the health and well-being and um, group that was put together um, has been really helpful in terms of in boosting morale I think um, do you know, like the stepathon challenge when I thought well, I'm too tired to go out for a walk or, do you know, the banter on those kind of apps would really kind of push you along. And the sea swimming, because I'm not a, a sea swimmer, but, you know, to go for a sea dip now, I kind mm-hmm. of quite look forward to. So, um, yeah, it's been a challenging year, but I think we're, we're definitely coming, hopefully coming out the, the other side of it. There are those fears of the uncertainty and you don't really know what's around the corner, but I think that we've shown in the last year that we can um, we can all work together and we can do good for ourselves and each other and the patients mm-hmm.
4: um, yeah seanie here so um like yourself emily um challenges of my own were that of what unfortunately some of our other staff members experienced was the death of a loved one um, so uh, on the first of april 2020 my dad had been on the waiting list for a heart transplant when he collapsed at home he had an ICD shock his LVAD was alarming with low flows we'd actually called the ambulance but by the time the paramedics had arrived he had regained consciousness and as he said to them in his chirpy croaky voice April Fool's Day as they walked in so we looked like complete frauds mm-hmm. um so what do you say LBAD? so an LVAD is a kind of artificial pump and it's used as bridge to transplant or destination therapy for end-stage heart failure um, so it consists of an inflow tube from the left ventricle, uh, connected to a pump, and the and it goes to an outflow tract to the aorta, um, and it's powered by an external battery carried around as a backpack almost, um, and then yeah, so in Northern Ireland currently there's ten people living with an LVAD in the Republic of Ireland, from 2015 there, the last numbers I know are five, and um, there's only one centre. Um, associated with insertion of the LVAD. where his style had to go to England for his. Um, so by the end of April he had deteriorated further and he was um, end of life care and what COVID had done for that at that time was there was no community panel of care, the GP had told us they'd run out of syringe pumps so I was asked if I could administer the PR drugs while he would be too drowsy to take PO or a morph. Community nurses weren't coming out, the pacing clinic weren't able to switch off his ICD, they posted home a magnet and it was left up to me i suppose to place that on his chest to prevent any further shocks if when the time came i had training over zoom to switch off his elbad if it was ever if it ever went off in the middle of the night we live in a very rural area it wouldn't have been time for the community doctor to come out and then miraculously a week later he started to eat pee walk talk <laughs> he was trying to beat captain Tall walking around the house with his Zimmer yeah. frame He was doing great and so then I made the decision to go back to work and it was very difficult going back to work and then knowing I wouldn't be able to go home Um, and I knew his time was limited but we still needed to protect him from COVID Um, but then by mid-June he went downhill again and but by then I'd noticed a big difference in the support and the structures of services like ourselves all the planning put into place so we did have palliative care we had end of life. Um, or, you know, an excellent end-of-life service community teams. ICD, they were able to uh, switch it off. Um, the community doctors had the LVAD training. So on the 30th of June, there was the, um, the community doctor switched off his LVAD with all of us around his bedside and he very peacefully died. So, and I suppose it gave us the, um, you know, really highlighted how important our family are that they were all by my bedside, so or his bedside, so I was very grateful for that, because I know a lot of our um, colleagues didn't have that opportunity, mm. so. And I know Beatrice, you, you're probably missing your
5: family, um, you are here, um, so do you wanna talk to us about that? Yeah, so for me as an expat living in Ireland, uh, my main support I suppose are my friends now. So work actually wasn't that bad, because I was able to see my friends, and it was, it was very hard, but at least I had my friends with me, you know, it was like, okay, this, this hell, but like, we are all here together, so it's not too bad. But then it was on my days off when I felt like, you know, the rest of my friends didn't want to, of we couldn't meet anyways. No, but they didn't want to meet me even after the restrictions were left because they were scared because I'm working in a COVID unit. So they were like, we don't, we actually don't want to be with you. Sorry. So that was very tough, to be honest. It was like not being able to have like some fun time in my uh, on my days off, no. Um, but definitely the positive was like we I think we I got like really good friends in here and everyone was super supportive, you know, uh, everyone, the managers, the CFs, the staff. Yeah. It was actually really good teamwork.
4: Mm.
5: And how I feel about it now. Um I'm kind of I'm a little bit more scared than I think the rest of you. I was with a COVID patient the other day and I think I still have like a little bit of PTSD. Mm. <laughs> you know, I put my mask, I put my gown, and I was like, oh geez, I don't know if I can do this again. An hour after I was fine, but it was just the initial shock of like going back into an isolation room. You know, it's just like it brings back all the memories. Um, but no, like I'm hoping, really, I'm hoping to be uh, soon in a beach somewhere, you know, out <laughs> of there. <laughs> <laughs> still enjoying myself, yeah.
0: That's it for today everyone. Um, we hope you enjoyed our first podcast and please do give us a comment um, or, or leave us a comment or give us a like. Um, also just be mindful that I suppose we're putting ourselves out there today doing this as the first time that a lot of us have spoken about these maybe personal experiences so just please be kind. Um, and if anybody has any ideas about future um, suggestions for podcasts uh, or content, and um, then please do uh, leave that in the comments for us. Um, so stay tuned everybody for the next episode on all things related to critical
1: care. Quote, um, if you cannot do great things, do small things in a great way.